Hello and welcome to a special birthday edition of Disney Parks and Beyond. This is a bonus episode because, at least when you hear this, I would have turned 38. And I thought, what better way to celebrate my 38th birthday than by doing a podcast? That's all I seem to know nowadays. So I sat down with a special guest. Um, not going to tell you what it's about. The clues in the title. Um but I had a really good time recording it, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, 38, what's 38? It's just, you know, a nothing age. So I thought I would give back to you, my dear listeners. Uh, this episode is sponsored by QuicksilverTransportation.com. If you mention uh, Disney Parks and beyond, when you get your quote, you will get a special discount. And also, we are sponsored by the Castle Club Boutique on Instagram and Etsy. And if you use the quote, uh, if you quote Disney Parks, you will also get a discount on your order. So please do that and show some love to our sponsors. And that's where I will leave this introduction. So um, actually, no, there is one other thing that I need to mention. So this podcast does have some fruity language. Um when I say some fruity language, a fair bit of fruity language, actually. But I could have edited it, edited it all out. I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to try and keep the authenticity of it. So it's all left in. There is at least one use of a fairly extreme swear word. However, with the, within the context of what it, when it was used, it was very, very apt. And I had no problem with it at all. Um, but yeah, this is a more traditional, old school episode of uh, Diz After Dark, really, than Disney Parks and Beyond. But hey, this is a bonus episode, so it doesn't really fit into any kind of real genre. This is just for fun, and I had a really great time recording it, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I had fun recording it. So, thank you and enjoy the podcast. Okay. Uh, hello and welcome to this special My Birthday edition of Disney Parks and Beyond. Um, and I know this is really self-indulgent, but look, it's extra content you weren't scheduled to get, so just deal with it. Um, but if there's one thing that people know about me, it's that I love Tron, and uh, Tron is a part of... Uh, things that I do around my birthday if you don't know I'm going to explain why that is in a minute but I don't want to just sit here and talk uh you know by myself about Tron so I've got a very special guest and I've got Bruce from the podcast Betamax Babylon oh yeah how you doing I'm right. very well thank you thank you very much for asking Bruce now for our listeners you know obviously your podcast is a slightly different genre to what we kind of focus on here about Disney parks and movies and things like that. Yeah. So can you just give um, our audience an idea of what you do over there? So it's uh, it's me and um, it was uh, Sam Delaney and it is now currently James Upright. We were the three founded members of the podcast. Me and Sam sort of started off the first year doing the programs between us. 
uh, and James was kind of the creative guru. He, he describes himself as the Terry, in incredibly humble terms, he describes himself often as the Terry Gilliam of Peter Max Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> so modest. And, yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of apt because he does a lot of the sort of funny stuff. He does a lot of the sort of graphics and the creative stuff and all that. Um, we look at 80s films uh, each week, but... Uh, it's a little bit different to some of the other 80s. There's, there's quite a few podcasts that like to look into, you know, older films that have become iconic. But um, I guess the best way of summing it up is to say that I've always said we're not a review podcast, BMX Babylon. We're a reminiscing, reminisce podcast. So we very much think about the time in which the film came out, what we were doing ourselves, you know, at school where we first saw it, those kinds of things. So it, it's, it's we, you know, we obviously talk about the film and review it to some degree, but largely it's about rem reminiscing um, and we don't filter ourselves, I suppose would be the other thing as well. Yeah. I mean, we we consider ourselves to be a, um, a grown-up podcast. Yeah. Um, that's how we do market ourselves. But um, if you like fruity language, you get a little bit more with you than you do with us but i mean not not a huge deal but there yeah. is slightly fruitier language but yeah. uh you know at, at the end of the day i think the the best thing about well not the best thing about your podcast but the one thing that i love about podcast hosts in general like yourself is the fact that it's um a version of you you know you're not putting yeah. on this character you know when um yeah. you, you and sam i mean obviously you just moved over but obviously i've listened to most of the episodes of you and sam and it's that yeah. relationship and it's that you know honesty um and i think yeah, that really yeah. shines through yeah i mean both in case of sam who's obviously my, my, my cousin i've known since you know since birth uh, or since his birth i should say i didn't yeah. know him before he was born and i'm a couple, couple of years older than him um, and with james who i've known for 20 odd years there's a lot of that about this is we you know we know each other very well we've often the conversation we've had before We've kind of seen each other grow up and that kind of thing. So that is a, a point part of it. And uh, I'm glad you picked up on the fact that we are purely ourselves on it. I don't give any consideration. I forget that I'm recording a podcast, to be honest with you. As soon as I press record, we tend to talk before, press record and just carry on talking. Yeah. And we don't change anything. Um, and also we, we tend to, I always say to people, I know full well there's podcasts out there, particularly film podcasts, who are against being honest a lot of the time because there's certain say individuals within the industry certain directors and that, that are considered like untouchable um we're not like that at all we will just talk honestly and give our honest opinion about anything and we don't really care if say quentin tarantino listens <laughs> one time and decides to be the only podcast on earth he won't appear on yeah <laughs> doesn't bother us so yeah that's us unfiltered is this kind of yeah you know, us talking? We, we don't host. We just talk and record it, and then send it out into the world. <laughs> into the world, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, we 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 put pretty pretty much put ourselves in the same kind of position. Um, there are like film podcasts, you know, hundreds thousands of of podcasts yeah. talk about the same stuff, mm. and we are very honest about what we talk about. And mm. yes, it means that we don't get the perks other other people might do yeah. to cover the same subject, but I'd rather tell you this is rubbish or I don't like this because then pretend yeah. everything sunshine, lollipops and rainbows, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Because I just don't see the, I don't see the point in that. There's more than enough, um, you know, movie shill uh, podcasts out there 
ran by sort of non-critical fanboys. There's far too many of them. There's quite enough of them. That's just sort of, if you want to sort of, you know, get a circle jerk, um, then that's fine. But I think, you know, we're, we're, we're a little bit diff- different, you know. We're just solely honest. Sometimes we run a podcast and think, shit, probably shouldn't have said that. Ah, too late now. <laughs> no. Yeah. I've had to do a little bit of creative editing in my time, mainly because one of my co-hosts, uh, Craig, has said something that uh, shouldn't shouldn't have gone out yeah. to public. But uh, more than not, it goes out unfiltered, and I think again that's that's a good way because you're you're showing your true colours, and I think that's yeah. it's good to be honest. Um, but I did ask you one because um, I wanted to talk about Tron. Um, yeah. So my my reason for why it's associated with my birthday when I turned twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't having a midlife crisis. I had that at 20, um, mm-hmm. bizarrely. But um, I was just thinking about, I wanted to do something um, at that change, the 29 to 30. And I thought, what can I do? And I thought, well, a film that's always kind of played quite an important role in my life is is both Tron and Tron Legacy. So I decided to start watching Tron at about 11 o'clock so it would fall into the next night. So I'd go from <laughs> 29 to 30. Yeah, And... And ever since then, so for the last uh, eight years, I've done the same routine. I've I've put one of the films on uh, before uh, the stroke of midnight, and I watch it through uh, to see my birthday because everyone else in my house goes to bed really early. So uh, it's it's kind of a good excuse, but it's become my kind of birthday ritual. Um, at least my thirties. I don't know if I'm going to change it up when I hit my forties. Mm-hmm. That's to be determined. But certainly yeah. for now, it's it's been Tron. Um, That's a commitment. Well, I mean, some might say com- commitment. Some people might say stupidity. You know, it's whatever you see it as. Yeah. Um, but I thought I'd just start with uh, a couple of um, things about Tron when it came out. So um, it came out on the 9th of July, 1982 uh, in America. And it went on to gross $4 million in its opening weekend and gross $50 million globally by the end of its run. So even though its budget was only 17 million, it was considered to be a disappointment by Disney. Um, but there's a few things to, to point out here at this point, and that's it opened a month after ET, uh, which was still earning about 12 million dollars a weekend at that time, um, and was at that time the biggest film of all time. And it also opened, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, two weeks after your beloved Blade Runner, which yeah. was one of your favorite films, and suffered well, a similar it, fate, really. The yeah, ET, yeah. yeah. The ET effect, and I and I believe for actually there are similar reasons as well, not just because of ET, but I think in terms of, you know, very often when films sort of get uh, are considered to underperform, it's often um, to do with what people are expecting and what they get, and I think both Tron and Blade Runner had an element of that to them. I think they're both films that when people see Disney on something about. In a, you know, oh, and in the futuristic computer world, there's a battle, blah, 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 blah. They immediately think, right, here we go. Rub the hands, wall to wall action. And I think it was the same thing with Blade when they said, oh, you, you know, you can imagine it, can't you? People, you know, people saying, oh, fantastic. It's a hand solo and Indiana Jones in the future fighting robots. It's going to be wall to wall action. I think in both those films, because they got something somewhat more cerebral, um, it affected them as much as uh, yeah the et effect obviously would affect you but i think a lot of it came came from from that for sure yeah it's 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 really interesting actually say about blade runner because it took me years to watch blade runner for the first time because it was one of those films that 
I'd get like towards bedtime and think, oh, I just want to watch a film. What what's on? Oh, Blade Runner's on, right? I'm going to watch Blade Runner, mm. and I'd sit there watching it, and I'd always fall asleep about halfway through. And it was because I started watching it late, admittedly, but also because mm. it's a film that demands your attention. It does, yeah. So you can't you can't just kind of watch it for the visuals. You need to actually no. follow the dialogue and what's going on. And it's mm. in that regard quite, as you say, cerebral. Um, yeah. But I think the the interesting thing about both films is even now tron to a lesser extent but certainly blade runner is that they hold up incredibly well like the the effects and everything like that are absolutely stunning and whilst tron doesn't obviously hold up as well the actual effects and and how they did them was incredible for the time and still really haven't been matched yeah i mean to go if you sort of you know tron one of the things i mean i was watching it i watched it again not that long ago maybe like a month ago and it's kind of, frankly, it's weird yes. that it hasn't dated. I mean, you would think this would be the most dateable film. And by that, I mean, dated in looking old fashioned, not taking a date to, um, ever. I mean, you just would think, bloody hell, Tron, like if you hadn't seen Tron since it came out of the cinema, you would think, I haven't seen Tron since it came out of the cinema. I bet that is fucking dated like a bastard, you know, because, because think about it, it's something that is, first of all, using computer type special effects in, you know, in the early 80s. Um, you know, so you've got two things there, haven't you? You've got the fact that it's, it's being envisioned in terms of what computers were considered to be in the early 80s. Then you've got the, a special effects team from the early 80s reproducing that. So it should be a bit of a laughing stock, really. But it's bizarre how, especially if you watch it in HD now, um, it's bizarre how it hasn't dated. It should have dated way more than it has. I mean, it's quite an extraordinary um, feat, really, that it hasn't. It should be laughable, really. It should be blood. It should be an absolute bloody laughing stock, Tron. Now, <laughs> but it isn't. Well, the funny thing is, like, if I think of like some films around that time, so the one I always think of, and it's it's not the only one, but it's one that always comes to mind, is Jumping Jack Flash, because mm -hmm. that film is where she's getting messages on her computer someone talking to her but mm -hmm. it's obviously such an 80s computer using such cheap computer technology yeah that yeah. it probably looked dated like three or four years after it came yeah. out you know yeah um so Absolutely. it's quite incredible that they've managed to to keep as you say just managed to, to be like ahead of the curve i suppose um yeah. just nothing's kind of um come close um I've got some Tron facts. Before I ask you some, mm. some questions, I, I've got mm -hmm. some facts. And obviously, I, I don't know if you... I didn't ask you to prepare any facts. I don't know if you've if, if you got any, but... Nah, um, not really. No, oh, um, the, 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 uh, the comical grandpa from Lost Boys is in this, of course, which I think <laughs> it's always nice seeing, like, a iconic supporting 80s character yes. in, in, in something, playing something very different. He's obviously playing, like, a, you know, a boffin, a Disney... A Disney classic disney boffin in this isn't it yeah yeah with the with the sexy boffin girl yeah you know? yeah it's i'm not i suppose that's one of the weird things and maybe because because disney had two sci-fi films quite close together didn't they because they had the black hole about mm -hmm. three or four years that before. Movie. and that's supposed that to movie. be that's that supposed to be um 79 or 80 yeah it's one of those isn't it? i covered it i covered it recently in, in fact actually when i first sp started speaking to sam 
because uh, obviously we share the, the same boss. We have podcasts on the yeah. same network, just not this yeah. one. Um, but we were talking about the black hole, and I mm. sent him a podcast we did where we reviewed it because mm. I hadn't watched it since I was a kid, and it is the most bizarre film because I think Disney were hoping, and I, I think to a lesser extent with Tron as well, they were looking for Star Wars. They were looking for the yeah. next Star yeah. Wars film, this big sci-fi yeah. spectacular, at a time when every studio was making a sci-fi film. You know, yeah. so you had Star Trek, the motion picture, you had the Black mm-hmm. Hole, you had Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica was on the telly, and, mm-hmm. you know, at the cinema as well. Yeah. You know, everyone was trying to work out what was going to be the next sci-fi angle, and yeah. no one no one nailed it. Everyone no, tried, and but no one they, hit it. They never really got there, so several decades later, they just... Fucking bought it. <laughs> bought, bought it out, no, right? And that's it. Like, which is classic Disney. Oh, just, but just, well, don't just buy it. You know, it's like that old Hollywood story, isn't there, about how actors lose their pull in Hollywood over time, where they go to, um, you know, it goes to, you know, get me. I don't know. I'm trying to lose an, an example of someone uh, who's perhaps not as big as he is than we used to be. Say Bruce Willis, right? Poor guy just does loads of like weird. As you see him in te- every time I go into Tesco's every day, there's a new Bruce Willis film, yeah. badly <laughs> illustrated on the cover of a film, right? In which he's in the background, it was in the foreground, but you know he's just done 10 minutes work and charged them, a, you know, obviously a reasonable sum of money. But they say in Hollywood, don't they, that the way it works is, is that you go from someone says, Get me Bruce Willis for this film. And then, and then as time goes on, it, it, as you start to wane, it becomes, Get me a Bruce Willis get me someone like Bruce Willis or get me a Bruce Willis type, get me someone like, get me a young Bruce Willis, you know? Yeah. And that's the way it goes down, goes down the, uh, goes down the chain a little bit. You sort of get slowly sort of, you know, degraded as time goes on. Well, the other thing as well with this film is that the casting is a little odd, mm. isn't it? In the, mm. you know, you've got Jeff Bridges who at that time was, was kind of, I think trying to find his way you know, he was trying to get that leading man, man kind of like position, but he wasn't quite there with the stars at the time. Yeah. And then you have people like Cindy Morgan and Bruce Box uh, Boxleitner, who, mm. like, I think they were both in TV at the time, if mm-hmm. I remember rightly. They, but they, yeah, they weren't uh, Hollywood names at all. No, they that that they weren't. I mean, obviously, Bruce Boxleitner didn't he do that? Um, bring him back, bring him back alive. Was that the program? I think yeah. that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's a strange. I mean, I suppose. I mean, the biggest star would have been Jeff Bridges because obviously Jeff Bridges had, you know, risen to prominence in the seventies as a very serious actor with you know that Last Picture Show and Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, etc. Um, yeah, I guess. See, I always think that this is another classic eightifications of an actor where in the seventies he was doing low budget sort of serious dramatic roles and then he ends, comes into the 80s and suddenly everything's blockbuster and and family movie and that so yeah I think that was him trying to come up with you know with with something that would help him to sort of move over into those those types of films yeah. um and then he picked yeah I mean you see it a lot don't you sometimes at that time David Warner of course is in this who um you know I, you know David Warner is a, an actor that, an abs- that, I, that I love great British eccentric actor. And I guess this was his sort of a beginning of forays into Hollywood, um, I suppose by this time, wasn't it? I think he'd done, uh, he'd done a weird bat movie called Nightwing, which I actually like. Um, 
in the late 70s, which was American. And then uh, he'd, he'd gone into, you know, this. And he was actually the first, he was the first, he was actually cast originally to play Freddy Krueger, David Warner as well, a couple of years after. Was he really? But um, something happened where, and, he, and you can see pictures online if you search long enough for him in the makeup, Freddy Krueger makeup. It would have been a very different type of Freddy Krueger. I would love to have seen it actually. But yeah, so he, so I think just after Tron, he got cast as Freddy Krueger. But um, something happened. I can't remember why he couldn't do it now. I think there was a delay to the film or possibly David Warner got, or maybe he got fed up with the makeup when they did the makeup test. And he was Very like, possible, you know what? Yeah. Uh, it, this, I didn't realise this was going to be as shit as it is. And I'm going to, you know, I don't want to do it. Um, and, and the rest was, the rest was history. Yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's it's like the famous Eric Stoltz, isn't it? Back to the Future, where it's that great what if you've seen like some photos of him on set as Marty McFly, and it's such an iconic role done in such a certain way that you almost can't imagine someone else doing mm. it. Mm. Um, or um, Tom Selleck and, and Indiana yeah. Jones, you know, another yeah. one. And you kind of it's that what if, isn't it? You you kind mm. of there's that side of you that just thinks, I wonder what that would have been. I don't want to see the whole film. No. You know, I don't want them to remake it like that, but I'd just like to have seen what the, you know, the, the rushes were like or something, you know? Yeah, very often in those cases, you can kind of see why people were originally cast, can't you? You know, you can kind of see, I mean, the Tom, Tom Selleck, you can kind of see why they might have gone with that. I mean, at the time he was considered to be quite rugged, reasonably sort of, you know, manly. You can kind of see where they, where that would have, you know, perhaps, you know, come from. Um, David Warner in as Freddy Krueger. I suspect when David Warner was originally cast, there was a little bit more to the Freddy Krueger character at the time. Because I don't think you just, you don't just kind of hire David Warner to sort of, and I love those films and I love Robert England, but you don't just hire David Warner, who has a background as a zoo's actor, to just um so i suspect maybe there was more there maybe more background scenes or you know prequels to him running around um bothering children <laughs> and stuff like that um so uh, yeah usually you can see it the other the other the other big, big one like that is in with jaws after they cast it originally sterling hayden was cast as quinn and again you look at it now and because that film is you know clearly the greatest movie ever made um you can't imagine anyone else playing Quint but Robert Shaw but you know Sterling Hayden you can see why they arrived at that I mean the guy did look like some big bearded ragged salty sea dogs you can see often where it comes from can't you yeah yeah I but I mean other times you can't I mean I suppose you could have seen Tom Selleck as as Indiana Jones there's a deep fake on YouTube where someone's seamlessly planted Tom Selleck's face on like Harrison Ford in various scenes and to be fair you kind of watch it and think yeah you can see what they were going at you can yeah. you see why someone at some stage thought this is the way to go and again that wasn't a rumor he was genuinely cast as oh, that yeah. yeah before yeah. um you know Magnum said well, no you can't contractually you can't do this no well same with no. um Pierce Brosnan and I, I know you talked about that recently as mm. well but I mean that's another famous one I mean he got his his bite of that that cherry. by the cherry yeah but did, you know yeah. Yeah, it can be done, but I mean, I mean, Michael J. Fox himself in Back to the Future, they couldn't get him out of the Family Ties contract. Yeah, so that's why so much of that film is filmed at night because that's, yeah, they have to doing do a lot it. of night filming. That's yeah. right. Yeah, forget that. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah, yeah. So 
There you go. Chances. So, Dutch is life. Chances come your way. Sometimes they slip through your fingers. Yeah. Uh, another another on. thing, another thing like that actually. Before I go go back on yeah. to see this ship back onto Tron is, um, I've I've watched a few documentaries now like this. So I watched one about um, the Tim Burton Superman film. Oh, with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I watched one uh, about the the making of the Do- the Island of Doctor Moreau, which did actually get finished, but with a different director. Is um, that the Richard Stanley one? Yes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good. I've seen that documentary. That's a brilliant documentary. Yeah, yeah, with an interesting he, guy, which is Stanley. Yeah, that's one way to describe him. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the Superman. I think it's called like the the rebirth of Superman Lives or something. But Superman Lives, I think. Yeah, yeah. but um, um, uh, the doc- documentary title escapes me. It's, it's something like that. It's something yeah. to do with the, the title Superman Lives, yeah. and um, it's good, but because they've only got so much footage and footage. And- yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, they got nowhere near as not, um, as much as they did with um, the Island of Dr. Moreau, so it was a bit harder. Yeah, yeah. But just seeing him in the costume and with the hairpiece and stuff, and with the long, yeah, glowing suit I, and stuff is mad. Whenever, whenever anyone says to me, and occasionally it'll come up, and you get people because you know, like Nicholas Cage is one of those people who, in his later career, he's just decided to take on, find as many weird scripts as he can, and do them, hasn't he? And you know some of those those films he's done recently are, are good, like you know Mandy's, you know is, is a good movie I would say, um, and then some of them are awful, but occasionally you get people because it's very it's also kind of like very into love with Nick Cage because he's a bit sort of mental, um, if you're part of the expression, um, <laughs> he um, people often will say things like I would love to have seen that Tim Burton Superman film Nicholas Cage, and I always say really. Because it looked fucking terrible. Oh, like, he looks awful. As, I'm sorry. I know he's a big Superman fan, Nicolas Cage, and he would have loved to have done it. But you know, I like I love James Bond, but I would not be fucking putting my hat in the ring to replace Daniel Craig. You know, because I've got more respect for the <laughs> franchise. So listen, that would have been an awful bloody film. So oh well, when, when you see when you see a documentary and it, I mean you know Kevin Smith's talked about working on and everything like that, and he's on there talking about and they're talking about the scripts and yeah. the, you know the giant spider villain and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Brilliant. it Brilliant. would have yeah. been an absolutely awful film. Yeah, so we've been saved. We've been saved from an absolutely awful yeah. film. So yeah. you're right. Sometimes it's fun to learn about it, but yeah, stay away from it. Stay away from it. Yeah. Um. So back to Tron. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I, I've done the Babylon. No, no. Been Babylon there. Not at all. We uh, unfortunately, this yeah. my listeners will not be um, unaware of this because yeah. we do this all the time. We we go off yeah. on tangents Good. and then we'll, we'll swerve back on eventually. Um, so the first thing I've got here is uh, the creator of Tron uh, was Stephen Lisberger, mm-hmm. and he was inspired to make Tron uh, after seeing a demo of Pong in the seventies. So Atari's Pong. Wow. Which makes yeah. sense, I suppose, when you think about yeah. it, because, you know, black and white and, you know, the lines sure. and everything, you know, it kind of gets there. Yep. Um, and the name Tron was actually just taken from the word electronic. He just took electronic. a section out of the word yeah. and went, oh, it works well. That'll do. Yeah. It's actually um, a computer command, but he didn't realise that until later on. Yeah. So it just, it just yeah. kind of uh, worked. Um, this is also the only film to have been filmed in the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. All oh, right. What did, what they do? What else did they do there? Did they do anything else? 
not well not filming Cult, but cultivate biochemical weaponry yeah it's, like that. it well, well they there was one bit of the film so basically all the encom stuff was filmed there mm. and this mm. is a very famous laboratory i didn't know about it but then i don't uh, really collect laboratory so you know maybe that's why my but, my knowledge of laboratories of the world is it's it's not what it used to be ah, what a shame what yeah. a shame i thought i was going to really yeah. impress you um yeah. <laughs> but apparently during filming um they went into an area they shouldn't have done and Cindy Morgan stepped in something, and they it was it turned out to be something toxic, and they had to de- oh, no. uh, decontaminate her shoes. No, no. <laughs> yeah, so that's they... true. Did they just want to? No, de- I, I've, I've, did I've they just want to decontaminate Cindy Morgan? Well, face. well, I wonder. If I young wonder. Tarantino was working on it, who knows? Oh my God, have you seen? Have you seen that? Uh, have you? Don't get me on. I get. We get in trouble. I lost a prominent follower on Twitter who hosts a uh, podcast that has Tarantino on a guest quite regularly because of my my, uh, my discussions largely with Sam about Tarantino. <laughs> but but I'm not going to, I'm not, so I'm not going to go down that route again. But if you've not read the um, young lady's story about her night with Quentin Tarantino after meeting him at a party, just Google it, you'll find it somewhere. It is hysterical and it includes pictures. Links. It's worth hunting down. If I can find it, links will be in the show notes. So check <laughs> check the show notes after this episode. Hilarious. And let's just say it confirms all the weirdness <laughs> about that dude. Anyway, there's always there's always yeah, something. Cindy Morgan. <laughs> oh man, Cindy um, Morgan. I think Cindy Morgan. By the way, I think she's really great in this movie. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, she was selected to be the kind of. I mean, we we know how it works. You know, buffing the hair up, glasses. Then later on, you know, we're going to take the glass off and all that. But I think she's really, really great in this movie. Actually, I think she's a really, really good actress. I think she really nails it. Well, I'm going to, sk- I'm going to skip to one of my other notes that I've got on here, which mm. is that, and I've not been able to find official confirmation, but I've seen rumours in various places that uh, Debbie Harry also auditioned for the role. Is that right? Yeah, um, she was cropping through films at the time, wasn't she? That yeah. that's that's why the timelines match up, and you know, people have said that she did, but I've seen no concrete evidence. But timeline timeline wise, it does add up. Mm. Apparently, Cindy Morgan got the role because um, they wanted someone that could pronounce uh, chrysanthemum correctly, Chrysanthium. and she did, wow. so she got the job. I don't yeah. know. Maybe Do you it's know true. what? <laughs> I think that's how all acting jobs should be decided. Can you say chrysanthemum? Anything <laughs> that would be brilliant. It will. It will cut the wheat from the chaff. That's for sure. Oi, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Great back even... catalogue. But seriously, can you say chrysanthemum? Because if you can't, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, but in 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 what dialect? That's that's a difference. Exactly. With Daniel Day Lewis. That's yeah. Uh, exactly. You'd have us there. Um, they actually struggled to get Disney animators to work on the film because they feared that one day this technology was going oh. to replace them. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's interesting. The thing is, until you, until you get to a position where, you know, computers are uh, truly like, um, what's the word? Uh, what do we call them? What do they say about Skynet? It became self-aware, that's it. Self-aware, until, yeah. Yeah, until they become self-aware, you still need very clever guys to, to do the CGI, don't you? And to program it and, and and make it happen but you can see where the fears are there actually because you thought it out there's a line in this i'm trying to think what it is i'm trying to see whether i made a note of it anywhere but there's a line and to me it kind of illustrates how cerebral and intelligent tron is because i do think it's a really um 
even now when I watch it, I do think this film's really intelligent. Um, and I always think he's got a weird mood that is bearing in mind what you said about George Lucas and Star Wars and Disney looking for a Star Wars. You know, George Lucas obviously made um, a very serious, uh, very political, cerebral sci-fi film called THX 1138, one of his early films. Yeah. Um, and I actually think at times, not all the time, obviously, but there's times, particularly in the computer world, where there's a similar vibe mm. to um, THX 1138, which again, which is where I think it put off a lot of people going to see the film because they weren't expecting it. There's a line when the old grandpa from Lost Boys, <laughs> he literally says, when computers and machines start thinking for themselves, humans will stop. What a line. I mean, that's an amazing line. And that's basically a line that has influenced virtually every sci-fi film that came after, yeah. serious sci-fi film that came afterwards. Yeah. So I think this film really has a magnificent script. I just want to get that in there because I think that's one of the things I like about this film. Well, yeah, and it's very clear as well that, you know, from, from the makers to the writers, um, well, some of that was the same. But, um, you know, yeah. it was a film that was, we want to make a proper serious sci-fi mm -hmm. film one of my co-hosts on here yep. had a rant a few months ago about the mandalorian mm -hmm. because um and, and star wars in general in the fact yeah. that you know this is supposed to be you know all advanced technology and yet they still weld everything <laughs> yeah and that really bugs him <laughs> do you know do you know what i think that is it's a kind of a there's a couple of things isn't there like oh god do you know what you're now forcing me to be terribly geeky although i do understand what what you, what you what your guy there was saying of course one has to remember and i'm cringing as i say this because <laughs> star wars is actually set in the world long long ago right, right. but yeah. but having said that i still think that there is a truism to the fact that you can still see a lot of futuristic films where people are still welded i think in the latest star i think i mean i think not the latest star wars film i think what am i thinking of some other sci-fi film recently they still weld in a lot of those Star Trek films. Yeah. Um, no, no, and they, no, and they no. are set. Def, this, they are definitely set in the future. Like yeah, they, with Star they, Wars, they definitely, they definitely scripts. This but, is not yeah. a pile on a pile on into futuristic welders, but um, there is a lot of truth in it. I think that where, where that comes from is, I think um, uh, you know the great Ridley Scott's Alien changed a lot of aspects about sci-fi. In that, when he made Alien, he said, "Look, this is a futuristic spaceship." But I want it to look like, not look futuristic too much. I want it to look a bit haphazard. I want it to look a bit industrial and that kind of thing. And I think since then, when people have decided I'm making a sci-fi film, but with a bit of gravitas, you know, and The Mandalorian is aimed at being a little bit more gravitas to like, um, say, the first Star Wars film. I think that they tend to do a little bit, bit of old fashioned stuff like that, a bit of rooty stuff. A bit of I'm keeping the trade alive type stuff <laughs> just because they feel it makes it feel a bit rootier, a bit more down to earth, a bit grittier, a bit more sort of, um, you know, the great Richard Donner, who sadly passed away the other day, used to say that the key to, to like fantasy films is verisimilitude. Don't look it up. I've done it for you. <laughs> it means it basically means that even though you're dealing with a fantastical topic, still make it believable as possible. Hence the whole you're believing man can fly thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's 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 a good counter argument. Absolutely. Uh, we'll wait to see if we get any feedback on that from him. <laughs> um, the effects in Tron were not CGI, mm. which I think a lot of people thought mm -hmm. they might have been. 
um, it said matte paintings were used um, in, in some scenes mm. and all the glowing costumes of the programs were done what were like basically animated on each frame of film so Amazing. the costumes all had white tape. And if you ever see any production photos from when they film it, you can see this. Mm -hmm. Fabric costumes with basically electrical tape or white tape used on them. Mm. And then they just coloured them in uh, frame by frame. I and mean, all, that's unbelievable. And, and all the sets yeah. were black. All the sets were black fabric that they were, they were on. So yeah. they used to say, like, they would go in in bright colours because they knew the whole day was just going to be dark and danky, changing yeah. these costumes and then come out at night. And, you know, what a bizarre, you know, day of filming that is. You've been in black all day. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. I mean, the craftsmanship, you just have to admire it, don't you? Extraordinary yeah. craftsmanship, extraordinary time-consuming, the, the details, the commitment to the art that they were creating. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because you're There's... right, we'd all be done a computer now. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a there's a show on Disney Plus called uh, Prop Culture, which is where it's like one of these treasure hunt shows you often get on uh, on networks and channels in the UK, um, where this guy goes around trying to find props from, from famous films. And he's obviously, these are all Disney films. And he does find some uh, props from Tron, like original helmets and stuff. And you can see it, you know, clear mm. as day how they looked and then yeah. what they did to them after. They tell you how they did it. It's... Uh, it's incredible. Um, Tron did have a sequel, obviously, Tron Legacy. It came out 28 years after the original, and it was the longest direct sequel to a film at that time until, do you know what beat it? Blade Runner 2049? No, but close. Uh, that would have that would have taken it. Pardon? Force Awakens? No. Come on, forgetting. Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, fuck. Which was like about... <laughs> I think it was something stupid like 50 I mean, look, uh, actually, just to prefix that, <laughs> Mary Poppins is a film I enjoy. And my my wholesale love of Emily Blunt means that Mary Poppins was a film that I enjoyed. But still, fuck off. <laughs> I really like... I <laughs> See, I didn't grow up um, watching Mary Poppins. <laughs> so Mary Poppins Returns for me was completely mm. fine. Mm. But if it's a film you grew up, grew up loving... Most yeah. people cannot stand it. <laughs> I just, you know, I Emily, Emily Blunt's just so charming on the screen that, that I think it's impossible to dislike a film that she's in, really. I, um, I just thought yeah. the connection. Because do you know oh. who, who else is in Mary Poppins Returns in a cameo? Who? Relevant to our conversation now. Don't know. David Werner. Oh, he plays the crazy ship captain. So he does. Who fires yeah. a cannon out of his house. <laughs> Classic David Warner. I've seen him for years. On, probably based on an actual David Warner incident, that. Because his crackers, famously crackers, David Warner. If, oh. if you're listening, David Warner, I actually do love you. Yeah. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please come on either podcast. Um, the, yeah. uh, the actual arcade machine that came out based on the film which is also called... Oh, Trump I love that. That um, was the greatest ever video arcade game ever. Well, it actually made more money than the film did. I, I, I can believe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I um, was massively into video arcade games at the time, and the Tron video arcade game was the shit. Yeah. It was the one that everyone, that people queued up for to play. 
it was it was great and it looked great and it, they, they a lot of attention to the, the you know the joystick handle was made to actually look like it come out of tron i mean all kinds of good shit like that i'd yeah, love to yeah. own one of them put it yeah somewhere they i'm sure i'm pretty sure they remade them recently as they do sometimes with old arcade oh, cabinets you can buy yeah. some of the more classic ones and it had that really nice bright blue Oh, uh, joystick, didn't it? And sexy as fuck it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was a yeah. really sexy machine. I have so um, I've got some uh, when Tron Legacy came out because I was it came out at a point in life where I had disposable income because I didn't have kids. Mm. We were over in America just before it came out, mm. and so all the shops had Tron Legacy merchandise everywhere. And I bought yeah. everything I could, and yeah. one of the um, one of the sets I, I bought actually has a miniature Tron arcade cabinet. Mm. and it was my favorite out of everything like you know the light cycles are good and everything like that but having a miniature version of the tron arcade cabinet just filled me with so much joy (laughs) beautiful beautiful um i was a big fan i was a big fan of the sequel i i I really liked it a lot um tron legacy i was uh uh, i I found it quite surprising that i don't know i guess reaction to it was a little mixed uh that which uh, surprised me quite a bit because I actually, you know, I was a big fan of the uh, of the sequel of the belated sequel to One Legacy. Actually, um, I, I, really, I really dug it. I'm a big defender of it, but I don't mm. feel why I should be a defender of it because, like you say, it's not an awful <clears throat> film by any stretch. And actually, very good it, film. It's much more action packed than the original, which I mm. think may have annoyed some people in that. Mm. But I don't think it was too action orientated. No. But the sequences no. were more bombastic. Um, but again, like when you watch Tron Legacy now, and it's mm. uh, at this point, what, about uh, 12 years, almost 12 years old? Is again, it, really? it still God. doesn't look dated. And I'm, I know it's, it's no, 10 I, years, but it still looks we, ahead of everything else. Yeah, I think we've reached a, I think we've reached an, a time in the last sort of maybe 15 years where it's impossible to improve on where we are at the moment and that happens sometimes you know you know it's even happened with apple hasn't it you know i mean the apple phone hasn't really you know they change things every now and again but they're not more advanced they're just different so if he's different aren't isn't necessarily advanced but the i think yeah no the effects look great i loved everything about it i just thought it was a good story i thought it was well executed i thought it was genius that jeff bridges basically decided to play flynn like the dude from the big lebowski because it kind of makes sense that he would end up being like the dude from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I thought that was genius. Yeah. Um, uh, Olivia Wilde, I thought was great in it. And um, is it Garrett Dillahunt? Uh, Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Headland. Garrett Dillahunt. Garrett Headland. Garrett Dillahunt's the other dude. I always get them mixed up. <laughs> um, Garrett Headland. Garrett Headland. Yeah, I thought he was good in it. I thought the whole. It, it you know it worked for me i couldn't understand. I, you know what it's like sometimes some people you know like nowadays i don't know people are sort of they get very attached to something something comes back and they've spent decades thinking about what they feel a tron sequel should be and if it doesn't completely match up to that they want to kill it with fire don't they well and so it's very to be honest it's very similar to blade 2049 in uh what you got there was a film that had a lot of the same beats as blade runner you know, mm. visually, it looked like yeah. a slight yeah. improvement, but it, you still yeah. felt very much in the world. The music yeah. was very familiar. You had uh, Harrison Ford come back for it. And yet, again, it underperformed. Now, mm. Tron Legacy 
when it came out, Disney were based, and I, again, I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, following Disney and started doing Disney podcasts around this time. So I'm, I'm watching a lot of what they're saying. And they were hyping this up as being Avatar, like the, the next Avatar. Now, mm. at that point, Avatar had become the biggest film. It earned over a billion dollars. Mm. Tron Legacy earned just shy of 500 million. And yet, yeah. Disney were like, well, that's flopped. And then, you know, a year or two later, bought Lucasfilm. Mm. So then, mm-hmm. and, and the weird thing is, I don't know if you know this, but um, Shanghai uh, Disneyland opened a few years ago mm-hmm. with a Tron roller coaster. Okay. And that same roller coaster is now going to, or is currently being built for their Florida park, Walt Disney World, mm-hmm. which to me is weird. I mean, I'm very excited because the ride looks yeah. incredible, but... Yeah. There's no sequel that's been announced. Lots of rumours, but no sequel's mm. been announced. No spin-off TV series. You've got a whole no. platform now for you to create content, yep. and there's no nothing Tron. So why the hell would you be building a roller coaster for a franchise you effectively killed off ten years ago? It's you know very what? Weird. They're, they're, maybe they're you know because you've had certain film Disney films that have, that have been based on theme park rides, haven't you? You know. Yes. Um, I'm no expert on Disney theme park rides. You know, I knew the, in fact, the, the, what's weird is the, I know I'm not a little kid, right? Admittedly, but <laughs> about maybe eight or nine years ago, I went to Disney. Um, what's the Florida one? Land or World? A World in Florida. World, right, okay. Yeah. So I went to Disney World. Um, so I was already aware of the fact that the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, ride is, uh, you know, obviously produced the blockbuster run of films that I'm not particularly a great fan of, but I know a lot of people are mad, madly into them. Mm. So I went on a ride. The parts of being right, it is really shit, isn't it? It's really low. <laughs> well, it's not that it's shit, but it's really low. It's really, it's really low rent. Like, it's literally just, you just go through the water and you just, you basically just slowly sort of, you know, paddle through in this, in this thing. A, a succession of underwhelming tableaus, right? And and I literally, I was like, is that it? <laughs> is, that, is, that it? is that what they base this massive franchise on? That? Oh, well, look, <laughs> you know, weird. well, look, I mean, there's two things. So first of all, the Disney World version of that attraction was basically shoehorned in at the last minute and yeah. is what much worse, admittedly not by much, because they're all pretty similar, but it's, it's a mm. much worse ride than the other versions. But also... Right what they've done there is they've, they've put the Captain Jack Sparrow character in there to kind mm. of tie it up to the films a little bit. You can but tell nothing, that. But there was nothing there. You know, before that, it was just, yeah. as you say, like, you know, pirates on this island or whatever. Yeah. So those films were solely, like, successful based yeah. on the actions of one bloke who said, I'm going to pretend that yeah. I'm um, Keith... Uh, Keith Richards. Keith Richards yeah. from the Rolling Stones mm. and like it and lump it, basically. And no mm. one wanted him to do it. But if he hadn't done that, those mm. films would not have been a success, no, in my yeah. opinion, at no, all. I mean, even though I, I guess, quite famously despise the very ground Johnny Depp walks on, um, that is the reason why those... That, that's what people watch those films for. I mean, clearly, there's no two ways about it. Um it's interesting what you're saying about they shoehorned in Jack Sparrow because you can fucking tell that at oh, the yeah. end of the ride, you just come to this little, obviously, the final tableau of Doom that you come across. <laughs> and it's got a vaguely mechanised Johnny Depp, just a drunken Johnny Depp, and this figure 
moves and just sort of goes fortunately admittedly as an adult come out i was like what the fuck was that yeah. <laughs> i literally was like what is going on there i had no idea but you're right but what my point i was going to make is maybe they're trying to do the same thing with tron maybe they're saying let's get a tron theme park ride to try and which sounds kind of it sounds like the tail wagging the dog doesn't it in the most egregious fashion but it's kind of like maybe we'll do a tron um you know ride and if that's massively popular then it will reinvigorate the brand amongst the kiddies and then we can maybe have another go at it well the rumor is that jared leto had, had signed up to uh to take on the lead role in a in a new tron either a, tron a, three well I've three heard... four reboot but no one's have... really sure yeah, I've heard some some stories about it. I actually think it will happen because I think that they'll just think about how they can generate it. Like you might get something like a Tron cartoon on Disney Plus. There is one. As a sort of pre- oh, is there? It, I didn't there know is that. one. So well, this is the problem. So when when Tron Legacy all I, came all I out, watched on Disney Plus really is the Mandalorian when it was on, and that that thing with Jeff Goldblum going around. Oh, America, I love that. Looking at things. They've just announced the second <laughs> season's coming soon, and I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah, it's called uh, it's called Tron, uh, Tron Uprising. It was supposed oh, okay. to be um, set before Tron Legacy, so as a kind of a bridge okay. between, mm-hmm. almost a bridge of the of the two things. Mm. Really well animated, really yeah. good looking, as you'd imagine, a really mm-hmm. good looking cartoon. Um, Knock off Daft Punk music, but we'll forgive that. You know, it still kept the same kind of vibe. It was good. Didn't they just, um, couldn't they just use the Tron Legacy soundtrack? Because that was Daft Punk. Apparently not. Apparently uh, not for okay. some reason. So it's it, it yeah. seems like it's variations of a theme, if anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. But the problem was mm. Disney, in America at least, just scheduled it really weird. So they'd, they'd start it off in the afternoon. Mm. And then after about six episodes, then it went to like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. And then it got oh, moved okay. to midnight, you know, and it got shifted around. And I think it's because the film had underperformed, and they're like, I don't think it's going to be very okay. successful, so we'll, well just maybe, bump it off. But... Maybe they'll try that again. I don't think yeah. they'll wave goodbye to that franchise because no. you're right. In the cold light of day, they'll probably look at the business it did, and they'll probably still say to themselves, "Well, look, this was still, yeah, there's still an audience for this, you know." So I think you might, I think, I think it might yet return in yeah. some fashion. I hope so. Can I ask you something about Flynn, the character yeah. Flynn's character? I wanted to get your take on, on this when you invited me on, on the program. Like, obviously, we all love Jeff Bridges, you know, and we, and, and in, we love the Flynn character in this film because he's the sort of cool, sort of renegade, sort of you know, sort of you know, snake Pliskin with a with a code sort of thing. <laughs> but um, what what do you think of the really weird scene? when they first break in, where he impromptu decides to play hide and seek in that room. He sort of hides behind a shelf and then sort of jumps out on the... Now, bear in mind, they are committing high-level, you know, corporate espionage, right? Breaking all sorts of laws you'd probably get 100 years for in in America in jail. Yeah. And he sort of runs... One of the rooms they go into, he runs behind, like, a shelf, waits there in a sort of, like oh, this is going to be so funny, like a sort of banter king, and then jumps out. And it, Do you remember that bit? Like, what is that? That's a really odd bit of characterisation. Like, I, what the fuck is wrong with him? I would like to think, and obviously I don't know. Yeah, I would like to think <laughs> that it was something he did on set 
just messing about and they decided to leave it. They decided to keep it in. Maybe you're right. I don't think it, but I, I, that's too big a thing for it to be that. But that is literally my only explanation because otherwise you're right. Why would anyone in that situation think do. this is what I'm going to do? What a really weird thing to do. <laughs> like James Bond breaking in, wouldn't it, to the, the Kremlin and like with with Felix Leiter and he, he breaks in and Felix Leiter hides behind the bookcase and then goes, boo, to James Bond. <laughs> it's just so weird. Such a weird scene. I thought, oh. what were they trying to say about his character? Because... I mean, maybe it would, maybe in the early 80s, I guess, maybe because there were a lot of films had pranks in them, didn't they? <laughs> in the yeah, 80s, we're talking, movies. we're talking like um, <laughs> Bat- uh, Revenge of the Nerds and Porkies and yeah, and, we, and, yeah. In, and in all the and all these slasher horror films, they always had one dude who was a big prank, Joking, and he was yeah. usually the first one to die, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether it was because oh, everyone loves the pranks, don't they? And then like you look at it now, and you're like, no, we fucking don't. <laughs> no one likes a prankster. The last 20 years, no one has liked a prankster. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, again, we're going to go off tangent very, very loosely, but um, that's why I can't stand uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off because he annoys me. I don't find him funny. I think what he does is just be an mm. absolute jerk for the entire length of the film, and I, then one rolls around him. I, I do... Ferris Bueller's a film... And I'm going to do a bit of a plug because I think we'll probably do it for too long and beat Max Babylon. We haven't done it yet. We've heard it back. It's a film which I think has some a few some a number of scenes in it, Ferris Bueller, that I think are really actually quite beautiful scenes, a couple of scenes. Um, oddly. But if I can use, am I allowed, am I allowed to use my my one C bomb quota? Yeah. Can I? Right. Yeah. So, but there's no two ways about it. Ferris Bueller is without doubt one of the biggest cunts in, in the history of cinema. Because he's clearly got a best mate who is, I think, not in the best of mental health. And he just seems to spend his life making it even worse. So he's an awful person. But anyway, I'll, I'll save that for a later BMAX Babylon episode. I, I've got to be honest, <laughs> I, I'm very tempted to clip that as a soundbite and change my uh, my text <laughs> alert tone on my phone. That's, that's a glorious quote. <laughs> I might even have it put on my headstone, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm printing like, you to it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, but, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> it was glorious. Um, we talked very briefly anyway. about the music of uh, Tron Legacy. Yeah, which is excellent. Great, Dark Punk. One, one of the great film soundtracks ever, and actually some of the best stuff Daft Punk's ever done. I, I agree. Think. I agree. Mm. And um, we, and it's. I was very sad to to hear they announced their um their split recently, but mm-hmm. I actually went out last record store day last year's one um and they re-released for the 10th anniversary the the, the tron legacy soundtrack mm-hmm. now i don't have a, a an lp player because i'm not cool enough for, to, to have that <laughs> i thought it'd be a, a good piece to have in my yeah. kind of collection yeah. um and it's gone up about six times what i bought it for because they're split up and also because as you say it's such a great soundtrack sensational but uh, the reason why i mentioned that is because um wendy carlos of course did the music for the original Tron. Yeah. Now I was looking up Wendy Carlos because I didn't know too mm-hmm. much about her. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually helped develop the Moog synthesizer, yeah, which became like part of her trademark. Yeah. Um, in the sixties, um, she won some Grammy awards d- reworking. I think it was um Sebastian Bach music. Clockwork Orange for Clockwork Orange. Well, and that led yeah. to her doing a Clockwork Orange and and The Shining. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
but also she was um she was originally a man yeah she was born a man that's correct yeah, yeah. she was she was water yeah. um yeah she... i think kubrick kind of brought her to prominence didn't they yes Basically, yeah, she, with, with yeah. yeah, she did. She'd done some like reworking of classical music using the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Stanley Kubrick was like, This is what I need for my films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes sense because I didn't realize that actually. And I only watched The Shining for the first time about f- four or five years ago, maybe. Oh, really? The, the music in that, yeah, it's one of those films that I had always kind of wanted to see, but I'd seen so much of like the big scenes in it. That I felt I didn't need to see the are film. Are you also if I when you're someone like me and I'm sort of I'm into I mean I'm into any type of film. I have no particular genre I favour, but I am certainly a big fan of you know horror films throughout the ages. Um, are you kind of not so much into horror because uh, when you, you you do always tend to think oh, I'm sure everyone likes horror films. But if you if you're not that into horror films, why would you necessarily have seen The Shining if it's not your sort of thing? You know. I, I've got to be honest, I don't really, like having watched it now, I don't really think The Shining is a horror. I suppose in some ways it, it is. It has a lot of the, of the, of the tropes. Mm-hmm. But I didn't watch it in the same way that I would see um, maybe something a bit more modern where you're waiting for lots of jump scares and stuff like that. You know, The, the Shining is much more kind of like psychological. It's a Kubrick. Really? It's Kubrick. Kubrick's idea of a horror film. Yeah, just like Full Metal Jacket is Kubrick's idea of a war film, and, we, and that's, know, that's a very good. It's a very good compar- comparison yeah. because I mean, Full Metal Jacket is not a traditional war film, no. and The Shining's not a traditional horror film. I mm. love The Shining. Like now, mm. I've discovered it. I've watched it mm-hmm. a, a fair few times, and I actually quite like Doctor Sleep. Actually, I love. I think Doctor Sleep's a masterpiece. That yeah. I said. I've recently said on Beating Max Babylon that. It's quite amazing that, you know, both uh, Blade Runner and The Shining, two masterpieces from the early 80s, both had extremely belated sequels made. And in my opinion, both of them are masterpieces as well. Um, Obviously, Doctor Sleep was actually based on a sequel book written by... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, So it kind of... It's more, it was less risky because it's like Stephen King had already decided I've got an idea for a sequel and written a book. I, I think Doctor Sleep is, I, I think it's my, I thought it was the best film of the year it came out. I thought it was the best film of the year. And the thing is, all, so those two films, Antron Legacy, bleated sequels. Yep. And, all and again, Tron Legacy, I think is terrific. Yeah, but all of them didn't do, didn't do that well. I mean, Tron, of no. the three, Tron Legacy oh, no. was did much better but both Blade yes. Runner and Doctor Sleep disappeared yeah. and I I watched that I mean I went to see Doctor Sleep the mm. weekend it came out and I was like oh this is going to do really well and and just disappeared I was like how's this disappeared like what is wrong with people yeah no I couldn't believe it you think of some of the shit that makes tons of money and you're yep. kind of like what the fuck I mean again I don't want to go down the road because I do it but there were some of the I know it's a bugbear and I know I've gone about it on my other podcast but the thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is um, those films always make huge amounts of money, and that's fine because there's an audience for them. And I go and I go and I see them all myself, you know. Um, but I think this is uh, there's an idea, isn't there, that every single one of those films is is brilliant, you know. And it's like, well, they're not. They're like any long-standing multiple film franchise. Some are good, some are very good, some are aren't so good, some are shit. You know, that's just how it is. And if you don't think that, then you're not really watching them with an open mind. You're just like back in a football team. 
you know, you've got, you've got your, you know, <laughs> things like Avengers Endgame or like the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and you've got Thor too. Don't pretend yeah. those films are all of the same quality because they're not. No, they're, they're, they're not. So I think um, you're right. I was the same thing with with uh, with Doctor Sleep. I saw it. It came out Halloween in the UK, yes, and right, I yeah. saw the first showings of it at like about half eleven in the morning because I was like, like, I was well, like, I was well up for it, and uh, I went to it and I said fuck me, that film is bloody sensational. But here's the thing. We all think, in fact, you're a good example. We all think, and the studio would have thought, The Shining. Everyone loves The Shining. Everyone's seen it. But, for example, you hadn't seen it until fairly recently. So you're assuming everyone's seen it. And plus, it does always come back to the fact that you've got the catchment area of you either make a kid's film or you make films for the 16 to 24-year-old demographic that largely goes to the cinema outside of the kids, right? And kids will go with their parents. Um, and the problem is probably the most people right now, and it's sad to say, but we have to admit it, that most cared about Blade Runner and most care about Shiny, even though they're both iconic, how many 16 to 24-year-olds in 2019 or whatever, I think Dr. C came out, are, are massive, fan, iconic fans of The Shining and Blade Runner. Probably not as many as we would hope. And I think that proves it. I think that yeah. proves it. Yeah, because, because those you know, people that watched it, either watched it when it first came out or you know saw it on TV, saw it on video in the 80s and the 90s, mm. when that would have come out of the cinema, they would have been teenage, you know, early yeah. 20s maybe. Yeah. Well, add 30 years on to that, yeah. Not everyone has the time or still does go to the cinema to, yeah. to see films. So no. unless you're, I mean, what they should have done really, and this is, this is again, this is what they could have done with Tron, what they could have done with Blade Runner, mm. is re-release them. Have them yeah. come out a month before your sequel's mm. coming out and say, and like, you know, we've got this great new film coming out, but this is what it's based on, or this is what it's a sequel to. Yeah. And then let people go and watch that. And it gives people a chance to catch up on, on the story you're trying to tell or the continuation, yeah. whatever it is. But otherwise, you are just saying, oh, well, I'm sure people have got it on Blu-ray or they've, they've called it on a Sky movie yeah. channel or something. And that's, as you say, it's not always uh, the correct assumption. As, Sadly, as... great movies don't always equate to great box office because it's all about feeding the demographic and and vice you know? versa of course because yeah, shit, of films, yeah. movies i mean let, let's be let's be let's be quite 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 honest about it let's be quite honest about it even though some of the uh, some of the marvel films have been very very good there's some of those that i that i really love there are some of those that i really think are fantastic movies i thought i mean black panther would be one um i thought the doctor strange film was very good but then that's kind of my favorite always been my favourite comic character, so I think that played right. a part in it. Um, and, and there's other ones that I would look at and say, yeah, I think Infinity War was good, Endgame, that's a story for, an, for another day. I think it's, I think it could have been braver. I'm not a big fan of the sort of comic relief because we don't want to get too serious for the kids <laughs> thing you always feel in that film. But anyway, but at the end of the day, Disney, and they are the smartest operators on the block, they know we could do a shit on a plate, call it Marvel, and every kid in the world would want to see it regardless and they know that yeah. you know so so perhaps you should be grateful that that they they've made they've made so many films that have had a high standard because they, they probably don't have to you know <laughs> but um yeah unfortunately we all sat around thinking shining 
Blade Runner, you know, unbelievable movies. Who doesn't want to watch another one of them by the original minds behind them? You know, not just a not just a uh, money grab, but by the original minds behind them. Who doesn't want to watch that? Turns out that not enough people were sitting around thinking about Blade Runner as much as I do. And The yeah. Shining, you know, unfortunately. I mean, at least in Tron's case, as you said at the top of the podcast, in the cold light of day, it's actually a really successful film. It's just it's all about perception of what they thought, what perhaps they thought it was going to make versus, you know, yeah. comes down to that, doesn't it? That's yeah. what it always comes down to, you know, because there's a, there's a countless mind, everything. This is our projection. If it comes in way below our projection, even if the film's successful, you know, we're still going to put a cross next to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, Tron Legacy. I've got three more facts that I wanted to yep. read out to you because I thought they were interesting. And then I've got a couple of questions to ask you. Yeah. Um, so the first one is the reason why they use discs in the film as weapons is because Steven Lisberger was very anti-gun. Oh, okay. And, yeah. You know, which cool. is quite refreshing, really, because... Definitely needs you know. more of them in America. Sorry, American <laughs> listeners, but you need to get off your gun fetish. It's ridiculous. Oh, I tell, I say it all the time. You know, they yeah. do get a lot of hate for it. Um, yeah. Tron was seen by a young, a, a young, a young John Lasseter, who young. saw the technology and actively pursued Disney's open studio dedicated to doing CG work. They declined. Uh, he carried on working at Lucasfilm, opened up Pixar, and a few years later we got Toy Story. So um, you could almost say that you know we've got um, we've got Tron to um, be grateful for uh, you know Pixar, which again is another company that makes some very good films and some not so uh, good ones. Um, There's a nice link. Can I do a little link to our new episode that has yeah. come out? I think it's coming out when we're recording this right now. Is our latest episodes on the uh, the marvelous. Howard the Duck and um, oh, wow. Howard the Duck also played a large role in Pixar ended up in Disney because Howard the Duck, which if you listen to my podcast, I'm actually rather a fan of in my own way, um, was such a financial flop for George Lucas and Lucasfilm that he had to sell um, Pixar or what was at the time Pixar to his mate, Steve Jobs. And he said, well, I'll buy that off you. And so that's the reason why it went over, you know. Incredible. When Lucas, when Lucas sold it. So, yeah, in, in the same way, it kind of then found its way over to Disney eventually. Yeah. But yeah. that's how it came out of Lucas's hands. Wow. Mm. Um, the last fact I had was mm. that um, Tron was made using a computer which had two megabytes of RAM and 330 <laughs> megs of storage, which at the time was pretty rare. Yeah. And as, as a comparison, because I looked this up, an iPhone 11, which is obviously an older model now, has four gig of RAM, which is two thousand times more powerful than the film than what made the computers that made Tron. Amazing in our in our pocket, in our in pocket, our pocket yeah. and we're I, still not it, doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Why are we not all making Tron films? <laughs> yeah, what's the matter with you? Come on, you could have made at least another couple of Tron films oh, while we've been recording this. If I wasn't making podcasts, that's what I would be doing. Um, absolutely so i just had a, a few questions to ask you about tron yeah. itself um yeah. and then and then we'll wrap up um yeah. so the first one is do you remember when you first saw it yeah i saw it saw it in cinema um i saw it in the cinema and i remember really really loving it i didn't get all the little aspects of it which i think if you watch it now you sort of pick up some more of the clever clever shit that's in it 
but um, I was really into it. I really liked it. I had early, I had Pong and the early game systems I was really into. So it really, it really spoke to me. So yeah, I saw it at the cinema and I was a you know, fan at the time. Excellent. Um, yeah, so I was going to kind of follow up. You kind of said it already, mm. really. Is, you know, what were your thoughts when you first saw it? Yeah, again, because I was into the early console games or whatever you call them, like you had Pong. And then, then after Pong, you had um, you had this thing. It was, I can't remember what it was called, like the game system or something. And basically, it was like, it, theoretically, it claimed to be four different or four or five different sports. And so you press oh, the button. Oh, play. I had but, this. I had but, this. But... The sports <laughs> were just Pong, but either the, the thing was bigger, and then you had, I think they had Pong, I mean, it was a joke, really, but they kind of just used Pong, and they kind of, but essentially just twisted the screen around a little bit and claimed that that was now boxing or something. There was, I had, I had one, and it was like, you know, again, like four games in one or four sports, and it was like yeah. uh, tennis, yeah, table tennis, yeah. hockey and everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone was pong but either the ball would be a bit bigger or yes. there'd be like four bats instead of t- like that's exactly one. it that's you exactly know? it yeah it's exactly that but i mean i guess that was all they could come out with at the time yeah but um but nevertheless at the time i fucking loved it yeah. you know at the time it was it was well exciting did it did it have any kind of impact on you culturally do you think um and I'll take the reason why I asked that question I is think, because yeah. when I when I first saw it, mm. so I'm, I'm I'm born in '83, obviously, mm. so I I didn't get to see Tron at the cinema, mm-hmm. but I remember catching it on TV, mm-hmm. and I was just at, about four or five and just kind of mesmerised by it because of how it looked, mm-hmm. and I said to my mum, "Do you know what this film is?" Because I kind of walked in halfway through, mm. and uh, that weekend, I, my dad had got it from the the video shop and. Mm. I watched it, you know, a fair few times and I was just kind of like really mesmerized by how it looked because it didn't look like anything else. And at that time I just started to watch Star Wars as well. Mm-hmm. So yep. I started to know what sci-fi was, but it didn't yep. look like sci-fi to me. And I don't know what it looked like, but it looked like something mm. I'd never seen before. Well, I think that's, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, I was really, because I very much was from the, the Star Wars generation where the first kind of film I ever saw at the cinema was a Star Wars film. Um, I kind of, I liked seeing new worlds. You know, to me, that was, that summed up that time, you know, whether it was Star Wars or um, Indiana Jones, you know, um, the, the Star Trek uh, uh, movies when they started making them. So I really loved like seeing different worlds on screen, the fantasy movies as well, things like Krolls, different. And that's what it was. This was like a completely new type of different world that you're being introduced to, the, the, uh, the, you know, the computer world. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that was what really spoke to me. So it was, very, it was very much, it solidified that thing where I loved seeing new worlds put in front of me very much. And this yeah. was a new, this was a completely new kind of, you know, genre of world, if you like. So, yeah, in that regard, it did. By the way, one quick thing. Mm. Have you ever noticed how, and this used to really bother me watching the film, I could never figure out why, I think it's Flynn. Um, they've all got the same suits, but Flynn has that little bit of sort of almost toga on him. Yeah, like, like a sash. Yeah, like yeah. a sash. I was just to think, he's the only person that has that. Why is that? And it wasn't until the last time I watched it, about a month ago, that I thought, I know why he's got that. 
it's to make him easily um you make him to make him more easily to spot that that's Flynn and amongst the other people because everyone else kind of looks the same when they're all on screen together and they obviously went this is great but he looks a little bit like Tron and a little bit like the guy that escapes with him um so and you can tell it you can imagine the meeting going on well, why don't we just give him a fucking toga to wear? <laughs> it looks like fucking John Belushi in Animal House. Um, and, I, and that's what that's what occurred to me. That's why it is. Well, it's funny you say that, actually, because the next question I had for you yeah. is, and, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but it was going to be, did you ever have the toys? I did. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I, but do you know what? They, in this country, if, you were in the, you know, if you were lucky enough to be in the U.S., Let's be honest, you had th- those Tron figures, you had them coming out your asses, didn't yeah. you? You could walk happily into a Target or a Walmart came or wherever you wanted to go and you would find reams of them in shelves. In this country, they were never actually available in shops. And I had to, or they weren't properly, I had to go to, the only place that had them was Forbidden Planet, what was then Forbidden Planet 2, which I think I spoke about in a recent BMX Babylon. You know what you 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 did, and it was really yeah. funny when you were talking about that because I used to go to the Forbidden Planet on New Oxford Street, the one just by Centre Point, which um, originally had comic books upstairs, and then mm-hmm. downstairs had books, and then it branched out a little bit, and then it started to have toys to the side, yeah. and then the comics well, at the back still. Prior to, I can't remember what what. It might have been on Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. In fact, I think it, it was. was. Think, no, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so prior to to, um, to uh, Forbidden Planet becoming a megastore, right? And I know there's a Forbidden Planet in America. So there's a couple in America and there's one in Scotland and all that. Um, prior to that, it was a much smaller store that was called Forbidden Planet. And it was just a comic store. And it was like your typical tiny pokey comic store. But it got obviously bigger and bigger and bigger and they started kind of when they started making more kind of fantasy films and comic films they started getting in film related stuff to that and so what they did is they then opened a second shop called it forbidden planet 2 kind of not all that far away probably about like a 20 minute walk away um which just had their movie stuff so then forbidden planet was for like just the comic stuff forbidden planet 2 was where you went to for your movie stuff and the thing about it because they had stores in america as well is they would themselves import um right. small amounts of toys um so you couldn't walk into a toy shop and get tron toys no but if you went there you had to go to like this specialist store and i remember going in there and i know exactly what happened and it's still kind of it still sort of rankled me but there was a sort of pleasant coda to this i went into Planet 2 and i saw the tron figures and i was like fucking hell you know fuck what are these you know um but of course because i hadn't gone into Planet 2 on the day literally they'd put them out you bet your ass they'd sold out of flins and choms right because <laughs> that always happens so all they had left was the um was sark david warner right yeah and they had the the sort of I can't remember what it was called the toy the well, sort the guards. of the guards yeah that had yeah. the big sticks and all that shit. So obviously, I was a bit deflated, but I bought both of them, and uh, and then your viewers are going to love this story. I guarantee it. Right? 
then I was so obsessed about, and on the back, you know, on the back it says collect them all. Yeah. And it had a picture of Sark, the thing. And then it had Tron and Flynn. I'm looking at Tron and Flynn. I like, almost was crying. I was like, ah, don't talk to me. <laughs> collect them all. I fucking would if I could. <laughs> They're the fucking not in the country. I'd love to fucking collect them all, Mr. Fucking Tommy. <laughs> it was Tommy that made them. It was Tommy, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So do you know what I did? I... I fucking wrote the Tommy in Japan. <laughs> I wrote, I took it to the top levels of Tommy. And I said, can you help in my sort of childish scroll? I wrote a letter saying, I, I live in Great Britain and we don't get John toys. And, and I've only been able to find one specialist store, but they only had Sark and the dude with the big stick. And I obviously really wanted Flynn and Chong because they are the heroes. And I want the heroes. Can you help me? Now, he didn't fucking help at all. But oh. to his credit, to his credit, he did write a letter back. Fair play. In which he explained in a far more advanced way than I could fully take him. The import laws of Great Britain and why while there was they couldn't do like a mass import for for Tomei right and why only a few specialist stores have them they did print off a list of the stores that were that could cover them which I think was like Forbidden Planet 2 possibly the vintage magazine store which was an old film store in London as well I know it. yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah um and so he did that it was very kind of him you know so um so I got the letter and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I was hoping I could do the old, I, could, I hope I could do the thing we used to get like limited edition Star Wars figures by sending off, cutting something out of a magazine somewhere, sending them off. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and then probably about, you know, nine months later in the post, you'd, you'd get your figure, wouldn't you? I think I even said something like, can I not, you must have, I think I was so desperate. I literally said, you must have a factory in Tokyo. Can you not just, can start, I don't care if it's not on the card. Can you just put a couple of things and I'll pay, I'll pay for it all, you know. Um, I, sh I probably should have gone to on Jim Will Fix It, probably. I mean, that's... Well, well I, I, don't I said think... it now. Jim Will Fix It. Why isn't it on telly? Now, why isn't Jim Will Fix It on telly anymore? Did something happen to Jimmy Savile or something? Bruce, can I just say is this? It, is, is can, it... I, can I just tell you this? Is right? this some sort of... Have I missed it? Well, look, here's the thing, right? Now, you don't know. I, yeah. I've approached you. Right. Yeah. You know, I said, look, I do yeah. Disney podcasts on, on yeah. the Cousins Network and, and all this, right? So you all you know about me really is I do a Disney yeah. podcast. Yes, that's I've right. I've done yeah. Disney podcasts for nine years and <laughs> I can count the number of times Jimmy Savile's come up on our show about 50 times over. <laughs> like, because people of a certain age, you know, it was just iconic. It is. You know. uh, it, it it comes up yeah. way more than it ever should do. But again, it's just the, it's just the legacy of the UK. Yeah, the le I guess. Legacy of the UK. Yeah. So what happened? So 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 because so, so, so I sent the letter off. Yeah. Let's come back. Yep. And um, cut a long story short, I wasn't able to get those those figures. It was you know it was someone like me as well. I got figures for every movie. My favorite toys ever. Movie figures. You know. Uh, as soon as you could go and get movie figures, I'm fucking upset. I loved them. I was obsessed with them. So I was like really gutted about it. And um, for like probably like years. And it wasn't until about, it might, I, I think it was just before Tron Legacy was coming out at the cinemas. In order to kind of 
um, prepare the way for the belated sequel, they actually reproduced those original Tron figures and sort of sold them to the adult collector market. And of course, I finally fucking got them. <laughs> I finally fucking got the lot. With these, I collected the, um, them all. With these, the <laughs> yeah, because you could. <laughs> with the, these were the um, the NECA ones, weren't they? I think. Mm, yeah. And they yeah. basically because uh, they used the same molds. Yeah. So that so here's the thing. So what it was, and I know this because I recently found my light cycle. Um, so it was for the 20th anniversary. So when the 20th anniversary of Tron came oh, right. out, it was getting yeah. released on DVD for the first time, like remastered okay, right. and, and, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Okay. And I and the weird thing is, this is mm. why that your story is weird to me. I didn't even know this was coming out. Mm. When I was a kid, I got the four core figures from a train shop in Manor Park in East London, right? right and okay. they had they had the light cycle in a cabinet, a yellow one. And yeah. it was uh, about fifteen pounds, and my dad was like, "Paying fifteen pounds for life cycle? This is like nineteen eighty six or something, right?" Did he take about- you in there and go? Did he, Did he take you in there and go like, "Come in here, son. Pick whatever you bloody well want." <laughs> oh, thank you, daddy. That's that's me to use a kid. Thank you, daddy. Can I have that? Scorchy cow, fifteen quid. Fuck off, son. Yeah, basically, he was, was like, "Look, look, there's some Star Wars figures over there for one ninety nine on the card. You can have them instead." Fill <laughs> your boots, which, son. Which I mean, I have, I have literally just in the last month found three Star Wars figures that I, for some reason, never opened. So I'm right. very excited about that. But most of my one ninety nine ones got ripped open as soon as I left the shop. Right. Uh, so I never got the light cycle, but I knew it existed because I saw it in the shop. Mm. So I had the four core figures, and for people that have never seen these. These were the same size of Star Wars figures, uh, same level of articulation, like five points of articulation, but they were made of clear r- resin plastic. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, to try and create the illusion of that. Yeah. Look, yeah. But the weird thing is, is that, so, so number one, the faces were also made of the same stuff, so they didn't look realistic. No, they but didn't. Also, no. uh, like Tron was purple i think and flynn was like a kind of blue color blue, but yeah, yeah, neither yeah. of them looked like the right color so I actually the red, only ones that yeah. looked realistic to the film were the two villains <laughs> yeah two that's true players. yeah the sark one looked by the way i think i saw the other day that i don't know if it is necker or no i think it might be what's that other one called diamond select diamond select diamond select yeah i think they brought out like kind of like new tron from the original film figures which look quite you know quite realistic well um recently i believe i have got i have got four of those figures they've only made three but they made a i think it was like walgreens or something in america did a um a flynn a normal looking flynn the regular release flynn was him uh as like an infiltrator so it's when he's disguised as a bad guy um so there's actually there's only three characters but there's four figures and yeah. I've got those. However, yeah, they are, they are just about to release a box set of the three figures, and the display for it and the box it comes in is the Tron arcade cabinet, oh and the three God. figures are in the monitor right. of the arcade Back cabinet. Here, yeah. And because my wife has left the house just now, I can confirm to everyone listening, I pre-ordered it. It cost eighty nine pounds. And she's going to absolutely <laughs> kill me when it arrives. Does, but I'm going to say nothing until it turns up because it's going to be a big box. Does it not? Does it not? Does she not listen to your podcast then? No. 
<laughs> she listen, when you, well, when you, she listened to some of them, but this right. one she will probably find. She'll probably listen to this episode way after it's arrived, if it turns up on time. When you when you when you said I can say this to you now because my wife's left the house, I thought you were going to say I can say this to you now because my wife's left me. <laughs> well, I thought well, interesting interesting update for the future. When this turns up, she might well do. We'll have to wait and see. But but I've done that on the proviso that if if I I pre-ordered it, so if it does turn up, mm. I hadn't yet opened the Tron figures I'd already bought from Diamond Select. Yeah. So I'm just going to resell those to kind of nice. cover the cost of buying nice. the, the box. Do they, they look all right? They you look guys... amazing. They look yeah. really... I think in I terms of figures, I... they look really, really good. Yeah, yeah I think I saw a sort of, you know, like, I think I saw like a picture of them. When Tron Legacy came out, I was so kind of like enjoyed it. And I guess still, still probably, you know, think, you know, tapping into how I was at the time with the original Tron, that I did think about getting from um you know from hong kong the um the hot toys figure oh. of, of sam um what's his name sam yeah, sam flynn sam flynn yeah yeah and on his light cycle because i thought oh, and it lights up and the wheels go out looks fucking sexy obviously it's really really expensive because those hot toys things are majorly expensive um and i did briefly think about getting one because i know somebody in sort of hong kong that lives quite near this store and he said oh you know i'll get it just from there ship it you know, no, no, I, went, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I was really tempted. That, that would have been like proper big boys oh, toy. <laughs> hot toys are incredible generally. But yeah. I remember because they released a Sam Flynn um, <clears throat> with the light cycle and they released a Kevin Flynn in his kind of like yeah. robe get yeah. up and very, mm. very cool. But yeah, mm. I mean, that that is big boy purchases when you're talking about yeah. hot toys. Hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Um, but those NECA ones, so... um. Yes, I didn't know they were coming out. I had the four original figures, but never had a light cycle. And I yeah. walked into New Forbidden Planet, the the Shaftesbury Avenue mega store that they they have. Yep. Um, and I just walked in there, was looking around the toy aisle like I normally do, and there was this Tron light cycle. And I was like, yeah, Jesus Christ, beautiful. they've remade it. And um, they only had the yellow one left, but I was like, that will do. Any light cycle will do. Yeah. So, like you, I kind of was able to fulfill my missed childhood yeah. <laughs> when they re-released the and yeah. that was the thing they because they used the original molds they were the same figures yeah you know yeah, so yeah, yeah, it they really was that, yeah, they that were. bit of nostalgia wasn't it yeah i mean i think i'm trying to think i think they may be the only other one i think they 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 re-released a company comment i think it was ideal re-released there's two ideal have re-released a couple of things using the original molds i know the 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 uh incredibly noisy but beloved wind up Eve Knievel. Oh yeah. Sun cycle. cycle. Yeah. And they used the original molds for that. So the little Eve Knievel figure still looks fucking strange. <laughs> and I think the other one they did is they did the absolutely classic uh, Jaws game with the original oh. molds. They reproduced it. You know, where you, where you've got, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit of a variation of um, Buckaroo. Yeah, it's almost it? like reverse Buckaroo, isn't it? Yeah, because you, you've got to go in his mouth. Now, put all yeah. the things, put all like these, these sort of skeletons and, and gas tanks and all that in his mouth and, You've got to get him out, and the lighter it gets, eventually the door will snap, and that's right. Um, so they've done that, but um, but yeah, no, they, they were really, yeah, they were really cool. I bought really cool. so much stuff from Tron Legacy when it came out. The Spin Master stuff was was nowhere near uh, as good as as obviously some of the other stuff that we've talked about in terms of quality. Some of it was quite good. Like I got some mm. talking figures where the faces were animated, and that was quite a clever oh, okay. effect. Yeah, uh, the little action figures themselves were. 
you know what they were i suppose but the light cycles were quite cool that went with them but i was just sucker for it i just i think i'd, I'd waited so long for for neutron merchandise that i was just like i'll just i just have one of everything um yeah. and of course i've got nowhere to store it but one day i would like to think i've got enough room or move to a bigger house and we'll have mm. be able to display all this stuff in 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 one piece because there's some really nice looking stuff and that's the thing with mm. tron even if you watch the film and think it's a load of nonsense or you mm. don't find it entertaining i've yet to and my wife is on that side of, of the, uh, yeah. the spectrum but you can't watch it and not be impressed by how it looks like yeah. it looks like nothing so. else the yeah. whole design of it uh, the vehicles the costumes the sets for both films just look like nothing else and so i think Absolutely. even if you don't appreciate appreciate the films in the way they were attended you can at least say this is a work of art exactly that's yeah. what it is yeah yeah I, t- I totally agree with you totally agree with you now there is just one thing you've asked me a, 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 to answer a few things about this film that you've noticed. Um, so I want to wrap this episode up um, yeah. in a minute, but before I do that, I want to ask you, what the hell is Jamon, and why does he look like he has a penis for a head? <laughs> what was um, that about? <laughs> so Jamon is that's the Lost Boy's grandpa again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's that's his. Com- yeah, but, so what's um, the computer what's his worlds. Name? Bernard yeah. Hughes, Bernard yeah. Hughes, I believe the actor's names. Yeah, um, it's weird, isn't it? It's um, for a film that a... gets all the costumes right and like the helmet designs yeah. right. What yeah. was the thought behind that costume? It's, it's very weird. It's it's a cross between it's it's a cross between a male the, the male um, sexual organ and um, the blue fucking what's his name the blue elephant dude on the keyboard in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Sort of cross between what's he? I can't remember his name. Is it Cy, Cy, Cy Rubles? Is that that's the band, isn't him? it? Cy Rubles. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, the, everyone knows who we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, it's a, a cross between him and uh, a big fucking computer cock. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. No. I don't know. Maybe they didn't like the actor, and they said, <laughs> and the costume department were like, "Oh yeah, he's annoying, isn't he? I'll make him look like a big fucking computerized cock." You know, you know, the other thing as well is because they're walking onto these sets. It's all, you know, they're filming it in black and white. The sets Mm. are all black. Their costumes have just got tape on. Maybe they just turn around to him and, you know, maybe he said, well, hang on a second, this looks like a giant cock on my head. And they just Mm. went, don't worry, we're we're animating this. It's (laughs) going to be completely different. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very strange. Rather than a black and white cock, it will look like a big, bright, blue glowing cock. Flashing cock, yeah. Like um, (laughs) Dr. Manhattan's penis. Isn't it? That's, That's the inspiration. It looks, like. It looks like Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan's penis was based on, yeah, that, I think. <laughs> I think we've solved it. That's it. Solve the mystery. That's it. Well, if it's all done. If you've learned nothing else uh, over the course of this there episode of the podcast, you've learned where they got the inspiration for Dr. Manhattan. Because, I mean, bearing in mind, Watchmen was, what, about f- four years after this? So yeah, it makes it was, sense. Yeah, definitely afterwards. It makes yeah. sense. Inspired. Um, Bruce, it's been an absolute treat thank you so much for coming on no, uh, and no joining problem. me to talk about tron and of course you know everything from jimmy savile to uh, <laughs> forbidden planet in between um just once again and i will mm. put some links in the show notes anyway yeah. but um just once again where can people uh find your your kind of social media presence um my so the beatmax babylon twitter account which is where we're kind of like most active is at beatmax babylon 
Um, we're also you can just search us on like Instagram and on Facebook as as well. So please sort of you know follow us, keep nasty on there. But yeah, our Twitter account is where we do we do all our sort of polls and our you know various sort of bits and bobs and just Post general conversations about 80s. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff is done on there mostly. Um, so yeah, follow us on on that. Um, and does James yeah. do your adverts as well? Yeah, no, he's everything creative he does. So the, yeah. the logo, the teaser adverts, the um, the odd little video he wants. I don't know if anyone, uh, if you saw what, what happened <laughs> with, we did Labyrinth recently and we were talking about the weird sort of cockney worm on, on Labyrinth and um, James, who also likes did, did collecting like the t- toys for certain things when they come up, he decided that he wanted to get this toy that's come out based on the little cockney worm geezer in, in Labyrinth. Um, so he went on eBay and he had a picture of someone holding one and it, it was a really good looking, um, you know, replica toy of this thing. So he ordered it and when it came through, it is a <laughs> came through. It was just like some fucking piece of shit, cuddly, oh, furry no, thing. Don't. Absolute rubbish. I've not Absolute bought one. Rubbish. I've not bought one off eBay. But I bought one. I bought one on Amazon and it's oh, you, you should June be about right. two weeks. Two weeks, right. You should it's be, all be right. awful. But if you go onto our Twitter account at Max Babylon, you will see the, the pictures of what he ordered and what he got. And also, <laughs> because James is so wonderfully creative, he then did a little video of the scene when you first see the Cockney Worm with, with Sarah. He's taken the film clip and superimposed, he, and superimposed both the actual image of the shit toy that he got and... He's super, and um, he's done a new voiceover that matches the shit toy. So Brilliant. go over there and you'll be able to see that. I'll, of, I'll find I'll the find kind a of tweet. nonsense he gets up to. <laughs> I'll find a tweet and include it in as well. Uh, but no, Bruce, thank you so much no problem. Uh, for coming on and talking to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, keep cranking out Babylon. That's what I say. I will. I will. We're going. We're going for, well, domination. Don't worry. <laughs> So that was the podcast. Uh, Bruce was great. Um, I've never met Bruce before. We just had exchanged uh, some messages on on social media. So um, it, but it really felt like, like someone I'd met before, but I hadn't, you know. But to me, it felt like we had a really nice, fun uh, conversation. It reminded me a little bit of of a branch and Ripley if I'm honest, especially on some of the tangents we went on and the fact that Forbidden Planet once again got a mention. When are they going to sponsor any of my podcasts? That's what I want to know. Uh, but Bruce, thank you again. Um, it was it was great to to meet you and uh, would love to, uh, if, if you know the right idea comes, comes along, I'd love to do another one of these uh, with you sometime. Um, but that's it. So I am now going to celebrate a little bit of my birthday because um, unfortunately my birthday this year falls on a Monday, which is podcast recalled. And uh, basically I just like to keep a schedule. So uh, I will have some kind of birthday celebration at some point of the day before I need to record um, an episode of that Universal podcast. So the, the, the things I do for you, dear listener, I hope you appreciate the sacrifice. Um, but no, I, I hope you enjoyed that. It was really great to talk about Tron when we did talk about Tron, but all the other stuff was good as well. And uh, yeah, please give Betamax Babylon uh, a listen 
they put out some really great stuff. Their Raiders of the Lost Ark episode from uh, about a month or so ago was was uh, particularly good, but uh, they're they're all good. But I think sometimes if you love the film as well, then that kind of helps going in. But uh, definitely go and check out some of their episodes, and um, we'll see you for a regular Disney Parts and Beyond next week. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast Network.